everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Ryan Kennedy. And today's interview is with a friend of mine who I met while I was leading a wellness retreat in Bali at a cliffside resort called the Astana. This was back in January of 2020. And I met Liam, my guest today, who attended the retreat. And he is a mixed martial artist coach. He is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt. And he has a ton of experience training everyone from total beginners to professional fighters. And this dude has been around the block. He's traveled to a ton of different countries and really pursuing his interests in MMA training in all these different specialized facilities while also studying, you know, spirituality and philosophy and religion and psychedelics. And so he's just got a wealth of knowledge. So I really wanted to get him on the show to one, reconnect because it's been a while since him and I had chatted and also to share a lot of his wisdom uh, with, with you, the listener. And so Liam currently resides with his wife and he's a new father. He's got a nine month old son, which we're going to dive into. So we'll be talking a lot of, about a lot of topics today about MMA training and how it can improve your mental health, as well as your physical fitness. We're going to be diving into some of the lessons Liam has learned about becoming a father. And then we're going to be talking about some spirituality and a couple other fun topics. So with that intro, welcome to the show, Liam. It's great to reconnect with you, brother. Awesome. So thanks for having me. It's great to see you again as well. Tell, tell people listening in a little bit about your journey, uh, you know, getting into MMA training, you know, what, around what time of your life do you start becoming interested in that? And then how did that progress to where you are today? Yeah, so really, it's, uh, it's interesting. I always had a kind of affinity for martial arts, but it was mainly around, um, to be honest, even though it sounds crazy, just martial arts movies, Jackie Chan, even PlayStation games like Tekken and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I had a kind of affinity for basically play fighting, messing around. And um, when I was, I think, 15, I remember seeing a poster for a martial arts class at my uh, a, a kind of essentially, I guess, the, the equivalent of a community college um, in a village near mine. And I, you know, I insisted my dad drive me there twice a week. And when I just started from there and uh, my main um mixed martial arts journey took off when I was 18 and uh, my my grandma had been kind of squirreling away a little bit of money for me uh, for my inheritance when I was 18 and I decided to spend it going off to Iowa of all places to uh, to train mixed martial arts full-time with a, with a bunch of UFC dudes so it kind of started as um, yeah it's just kind of an inclination I love messing around and I just love the vibe of martial arts and everything and uh, yeah I just kind of never grew up is what I put it down to uh, you know put, put the credit down to I just uh, I still play fighting but now it's, I get paid <laughs> yeah that's a it's a great thing to to step into man I, I one thing I want to highlight uh, when it comes to mis, mi, mixed martial arts training and, and there's a lot of flavors and varieties of this and subtypes that we could dive into um, but I was always kind of off put by it. So I'm like, dude, I don't want to get punched in the face. I don't want to, you know, get my ass beat in the ring. And it's, it's in my opinion, one of the most intense sports period. Like it's just you and another dude or another human going at it in an enclosed space. And like whoever can really beat the shit out of the other person more effectively wins. Like there's no, there's very few rules and it's the most primal thing of just like hands on hand combat, have at it winner takes all. And that's badass, dude, but it's always been off-putting to me. So I want you to kind of tell people one, your mentality, you know, on that side of things, but also, you know, how that's not always the best way to look at it. Cause I know after going through it myself as a beginner, it's, it's really safe when you're doing it with the proper set and setting with the proper instructors and everything like that. So dive into that a little bit. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's it's like many things that it appears on the surface as one thing, which it does have a certain truth. It is brutal. There's no there's no lying about it. Yeah. At, at its highest level of competition, like, you know, you see the UFC, you see these other organizations. And as a sport um, at the highest level, it is very unforgiving. But as an, an art form, if you consider all the art forms that go into it, it breaks down into so many different things, as you said, um, and so many levels of complexity and intensity that it's really... Um, it is something which is surprisingly accessible considering what it looks like at its peak. And you do get a lot of people saying that when they first come in, they say, I would come and join you, but I don't want to get need in the head and stuff. And I'm like, it's the same as saying, you know, I'd like to learn how to drive, but I don't want you to send me 250 miles an hour down a rally course. It's like, nobody's yeah. going to do that, bro. If you don't want to do it, they're not going to force you to do it. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where um, some people like fighting and they have that urge to do it. And, and I did when I was younger, but some people, um, they don't, and they can still benefit in so many different ways from mixed martial arts. And the majority of coaches um, in the, the martial arts, which make up mixed martial arts, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, wrestling, the majority of these guys are good and they're, they're good at you know facilitating training and making it safe and accessible because nobody wants to come in the gym and, and leave injured. It would defeat the, the point of the whole thing, right? Totally. Um, yeah, 100% mixed martial arts is, it's, it's something which uh, it, it seems like a meathead pursuit on the outside, but in reality, it's super refined. Um, there's there's other aspects which, when you spend a, a, a long time in it, it becomes almost like a spiritual pursuit um, when you're, you're kind of uh, working on self development and, and self optimization, which is necessary to become the best version of yourself within martial arts. And I think that it's it has so many things which are essentially analogies for life, you know, working through the struggle and, and, and everything else, that it becomes something which is much bigger than just seeing people get KO'd on a YouTube highlight reel, you know, uh, as entertaining as that can be if you're, if you're kind of bloodthirsty. <laughs> but um, when I first started, I was very much, uh, you know, not a meathead. I, was, I, I, used to avoid, um, I used to avoid physical confrontation and everything like that. And I kind of got into martial arts because I was, you know, I thought it was cool. And since then, I found myself empowered to not be intimidated by by physical violence and so on so it's almost like it's uh it's the opposite instead of meeting me head on in a kind of intimidating way martial arts allowed me mixed martial arts in particular allowed me to kind of you know uh grow into myself and become uh, and become kind of familiar and comfortable with violence in a way which almost transcends it so uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something which is quite hard to, uh, to put a handle on exactly without, you know, going into it uh, too much. But yeah, it's, it's not as bad as it looks initially. <laughs> no, I, I love what, the way that you put that because it is an art form. And what I've learned through all my friends that are deep in MMA and just from the small amount of training I have done, I'm not anywhere near your level, Liam. I've just done some, you know, kind of for general fitness, mental benefits and, and self-defense kind of uh, being equipped with some basic skills it's really a way to decrease violence because yeah. if you get into a confrontation uh, with someone else, most people are just going to start throwing punches and they're just going to try and exert the most harm on the opponent or the uh, gal or girl or guy that's, that's causing them this, you know, confrontation. But when you understand the techniques that, you know, are involved with jujitsu and involved with some of these techniques, you learn how to really decrease the violence because now you're able to create a scenario where you bring them to submission without actually hurting them. So no one's getting, you know, broken noses and getting their teeth punched out. You're actually able to remedy the situation 
without instilling harm on the opponent. And I think that's a really valuable trait and tool to have for, for anyone. A hundred percent. I found it myself with working uh, security in different places or just being out and about in England, which is known for being kind of, uh, you know, raucous at times and being able to stop a potentially violent situation with simple controls. And it's even, you see it now, um, even in the US police force, like some of them are, 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 are training people up to a minimum level in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, because if you're comfortable being able to control somebody, you don't need to use excessive violence out of fear, for example. Exactly. And that exactly. everything. It's, it's great that it's even reached that, the highest level of security in, in the armed forces and in, and in the police. People are realizing that when you're more empowered, you actually tend to become nicer. Yep, 100%. And the other thing it does that I think is freaking awesome is it gives you an outlet for suppressed energies, you know, because a lot of people, especially like a lot of young guys, you know, raging with testosterone, have all these crazy hormones pumping through their system, they can be violent. And that's why there's a lot of like school fights and shit, because they have all this pent up energy that they don't know how to release in a healthy way. And this type of training allows people to let those things out in a controlled setting that's not harming themselves, that's not harming other people, that's actually really healthy for everyone involved. And I think that's a overlooked aspect of the entire process is just this suppressed, whether it's anger or trauma or uh, resentment or just overall like pent up emotions that you could literally just lay into the bag and, and let that shit out. I, I find that so stress relieving and therapeutic. And like I said, I'm not, I'm no professional boxer, but I'll put some gloves on dude and just go out to town on the heavy bag. And afterwards I just feel 10 pounds lighter. Like I just had this weight lifted off my shoulders. I feel so freaking good, man. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I feel exactly the same. And it becomes like almost, uh, in, in, in most ways, a healthy addiction. Um, yep. but yeah, it's, it's something that's like, um, you know, it, it's now become integral to my kind of mental health is however well my training is going is how well my life feels like it's going even if i'm broke if i had a good day in the gym i'm kind of like ah you know it's, yeah. it's all good it's kind of yeah. fine and, and another thing um in relation to the the guys who have built up any uh, energy and aggression and things um letting it out it also in that environment uh, environment breeds humility because you know you get mm -hmm. some guy who's kind of like he's like 20 years old and he fancies himself on the you know as a street fighter as a tough guy and he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder and he goes into a room full of other people who may be older younger men women and then he finds himself a realistic setting of where he is and then you don't really feel because I, I i notice this very much in myself you don't feel the need to prove yourself when you know that you have a kind of you know you're not this tough you're this tough this is where you're at you don't need to go and punch some guy who looked at you funny in a bar to try to prove yourself because you've been humbled uh, several times in the gym. And you see this happen a lot to guys who come in and they kind of, they don't want to accept that they might, somebody might be better than them at something. And then some 150 pound girl chokes them unconscious and they, they're kind of yeah. like, wow, okay, I'm not the guy I thought I was. And once you've kind of accepted that, it, it really puts you on a, it makes you, I think it makes you a better human being, you know, because you see this, especially with the, you know, especially with guys when they're kind of thinking about the hierarchy and when nobody really knows where they are, that tends to lead to violence. You know, you see it in even in animals and humans when they're kind of vying for alpha male status, if you like, if you kind of know where you, where you sit on the food chain and you know, some people, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail, as we say, you don't feel the need to prove yourself and kind of lash out. So th there is that as well. It's, it's another benefit to it. 
Humility and perspective are two powerful lessons, man, and just really allies for the human experience in order to have deeper levels of personal development, cultivate better relationships, communication skills, and overall just be a better human in the world. I think those are really overlooked. And like you said, this type of training delivers you some really valuable aspects to those two things. So love that that you shared. Um, and then <clears throat> the other thing is the mental health side, you know, of, of, of getting rid of some of this uh, suppressed energy. Uh, I mean, we've seen it in the movies, you know, like someone's having uh, a mental breakdown or a midlife crisis, and they just take a baseball bat and they go to town on shit. And obviously, yeah. that's very destructive. And it looks very reckless, but it's a human instinct to let it out. And at a certain breaking point, people will just let it out on just anything, whether that's a, a, you know, the wall in their house, whether that's a car, whether that's another person. And so it's so much healthier to not let it get to that boiling point and to go in every week and just let it out in the gym. And while resistance training is phenomenal for this and any type of exercise can be great for this, nothing beats the physical output of just throwing some punches, throwing some kicks and going to town uh, when it comes to this type of training. So share with, share with people listening in your perspective on that and uh, what you've seen with your clients and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that, like you say, it, it kind of, um, it speaks to people's innate uh, ability to be, violence isn't necessarily the word, but to be kind of, you know, expressive in that physical way. Yeah, primal. And, yeah, exactly, and primal. And mixed martial arts is basically, as a coach, um, in many ways, it's your job to facilitate those kind of urges to, to be expressed in a safe way. Mm -hmm. So really, you, you don't really find in, in any other um, scenarios as much of a kind of bond, uh, like, you know, a, a kind of brotherhood feeling with guys, because you're literally beating them up, which seems like, you know, uh, an aggressive uh, thing to do. But in reality, when you've kind of done those things together, and you've built that trust of somehow becoming bonded through aggression to each other it becomes like a you know a, a really strong thing and people who are able to express themselves in those ways like i said before are much less likely to lash out and just smash their keyboard at work or you know just have an argument with their spouse or something like that because yeah. they've, they've put it all out onto each other they've they've taken a beating they've given a beating and in a safe way and hopefully they didn't get injured or you know lose too many brain cells or anything and then <laughs> moving on they've they've kind of released that part of them which is is undeniable really people people feel anger and they feel some way to express it and it's it's just a healthy way to get it out there and i've i for one feel that it's uh, just essential like i said to my mental health not that i'm going to go crazy if i don't do it i personally feel that if i don't train i feel low i feel depressed totally. and for me exerting that energy in a maximum way makes me feel like i have this kind of like natural you know energy or natural power through my body that's just from from basically telling my body that it has a job to do and smashing it and putting that energy out there and it, and it breeds more energy, you know, and, and mental wellness. It increases your overall vitality, man, in every way. Um, and any type of training will do this, but I think MMA is really unique in its ability to tap into deeper states of this. And so this is awesome, man. And for people listening in who are like, all right, I'm sold. Liam's got me convinced. I'm ready to just throw on some gloves and get after it. What do you suggest for people? Like, are there any online uh, courses that you know of or that you offer? Are there any YouTube videos? Are there any, uh, obviously there's local studios and, and gyms that people can find. And I definitely encourage that. But for people who are like, maybe not wanting to go out into the world, uh, into local gyms, what type of resources would you steer them to, to start their journey if they're brand new to this? 
Yeah, well, like you say, YouTube videos and online courses uh, can be pretty handy. You know, you can if you if you're into it as a sport, you can watch the fights and stuff. But as far as an arts concerned, um, you can study online to a degree. I do have on my uh, on my Instagram uh, page, I do have a link for a very basic um, uh, introduction to like Muay Thai and, and MMA striking that I did via the the, the, the Yogi Lab guys in uh, Bali. Um, but also one thing that I would encourage people to do is to find a responsible coach in a good gym. Now this is, it's easier said than done, but if anybody wants to find me on Instagram, I'm more than happy to, to find out what city they live in and have a quick look and see what the website looks like. I've done this for many people uh, before who want to train. If you can find a gym uh, for boxing or Muay Thai or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, especially, or even wrestling, if you're in the States, any of those things um, is a good place to start. It's just a matter of finding a gym that makes you feel comfortable and challenged at the same time. But if anybody wants to hit me up on Instagram and I can assist them in finding a gym in their area that looks good, or I can, I can point them towards some resources, then anybody can feel free to do that. I'll but, be sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be sure to put uh, your Instagram link in the show notes. Uh, you share some great content on there, man. Just helpful videos. I've been following you since we connected, you know, now two years ago. And you got some great uh, free content out there. So I highly encourage people to check that out. I'll put the link in the show notes. And then for anyone who's listening on audio, um, what is it? L-R-J underscore, underscore O'Neill. Is that, yes. is that right? Two L's at the end, like the American brand. So it's L-R-J, Liam Roy Jordan. Underscore yep. Well, we should have put that in the notes so people can go learn more, connect with you. And as far as the um, resistance training side of things, dude, you've been looking jacked uh, since I met you two years ago. You're, <laughs> you're crushing it in the gym, dude. So tell me about your training pro program right now. Like what, you know, give me just a quick little highlight of like how many days of training, what type of body part splits, what type of, you know, exercise routine you're, you're currently doing as far as muscle growth goes, because you've probably tacked on God, bro at least 15 or 20 pounds of muscle since I saw you, you're, yeah, yeah. you're looking fucking strong. You're currently like a uh, 102 kilos, which I think is like 230 pounds. Maybe somebody will have to check that for me, but yeah, it's in American about 230 pounds. So like, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm fairly, uh, muscular at the moment. I go through different stages of phases of trying to gain muscle mass and so on and so forth. Cause it's very difficult to balance so many different paradigms of, of training, you know, like yeah. if you want to have endurance and flexibility and muscle mass and everything else, it's, such a different thing a difficult thing so i tend to go through phases um the most recent phase i i, I try to gain functional mass um for my upper body i do uh, different resistant exercises like uh shrugs and, uh, and and dumbbell things but i like to focus on gymnastic rings because i find them to be super super helpful it's nice. not uh it's not super accessible it's like a slightly advanced version it of calisthenics Again, if you can get a coach to help you with the, the, you know, the things, or if you're, if you're generally good with fitness and strength and you can kind of figure out stuff using uh, online instructionals, but I was lucky enough to have a couple of coaches who helped me through it, but gymnastic rings for me um, are the most legit upper body strength uh, development devices. Um, and on top of that, I use some kind of hypertrophy uh, sometimes and some strength training. Uh, generally speaking, I yeah I, I focus on the the rings and then accessorize with dumbbells and barbells, and I also do some band work and a lot of uh, mobility work in my shoulders. Yeah, the rings um, are great for that. The rings yeah, are exactly. great for the, they really strengthen shoulders. But like you said, it's definitely more advanced. Like it, you, you can't be 
just starting in your fitness routine and expect yeah. to do like ring exercises because they're tough. Yeah. They're really tough. <laughs> but the uh, as far as rep counts, are you doing a lot of like high high rep body weight stuff on there? Are you adding weight and doing like more more loaded training? Yeah. So what I tend to do is I will uh, with, for example, gymnastic rings, I'll do super, super strict. So I tend to run between three and six reps on like something like a false grip pull up or a deep dip. Um, and then I might go into like, you know, the eight to 12 rep range of the dumbbells and barbells. Cause I, I like to, you know, put on a little bit of weight and now I, I don't compete. So I don't have to worry about weight classes. So I can just get a little bit nice. jacked. Nice. Um, lower body. I like to focus around squat and lunge variations with also some kind of some form of loaded stretching or at least loaded end range development. So like the bottom of a deep lunge or the bottom of a deep squat, as well as um, barbell squats. Uh, and I recently just started playing around with a, a belt squat machine, which basically is a, a weight belt goes around your waist and then you have a chain going down and you, you squat. It, it, it changes the angle. And I found that really yeah. my legs are aching today. Thanks to that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I tried to experiment, you know. I love the belt squats and other variations of that type of uh, force production because it's not loading the spine as much. You know, with barbell squats, it could be hard for some people, especially if they have any disc issues or any type of back problems to, to throw two, 300 pounds on a barbell and hold it right on your traps. That's not easy. But when you're doing something like a belt squat or doing something like a, a leg press machine, you could really load the quads and glutes really effectively in a way that's not putting any stress on your spine. So I like yeah. that you shared that. Uh, what, what about diets, man? Are you, are you following any particular, uh, nutrition protocol at the moment? Well, you know, this is the thing I actually is my one, uh, well, not one vice, but my <laughs> training wise, my main vice is that I do not have a strict diet. I am lucky genetically in that I'm not predisposed to gaining fat too much, but I am, uh, for example, if I never trained my whole life, I would be skinny. I wouldn't be, uh, you know, obese. So gaining extra calories isn't too much of an issue for me. And I, I don't tend to eat clean unless I have a reason. So for example, when I was competing and I had to be within a weight class and I worried about my calories, now I'm kind of living like a, you know, a medieval king eating everything in front of me. So. Nice, nice. That's a good <laughs> way to live. Ask me like, you know, what do you eat to have abs and stuff? And I'm like, sorry, bro. It's not like, yeah, I just train like four hours a day and then eat everything I can. So, and, and um, that's the, like honestly, about it, <laughs> honestly, Liam, that's like the hard gainer way, man, is like, there's a lot of guys like that ectomorph body type where you're super lean, naturally fast metabolism. And for those guys to build, to build muscle mass, you got to be jacking your calories up. You got to be eating high protein and high carb because you need the insulin response from the carbohydrates to drive muscle protein synthesis. So I work with a lot of guys who are like that, Liam, who are like, dude, I cannot gain a pound of muscle, even if I'm lifting five days a week and eating a lot. And so I'll help them really optimize the hormonal aspect to drive up IGF one and testosterone naturally. Yeah. And then really fill in the, the recovery with lots of, lots of delicious food, which is a, a good place to be. I'm sure people listening to this who are not ectomorph body types are like cursing at you like that. Yeah, lucky, exactly. that lucky mother okay. effer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think I need to get some, uh, some more uh, pointers from you as well, because my, my diet is the least professional of my lifestyle. <laughs> choices. So, you know, I, yeah. I think yeah, a bit more of a clean bulk and with your advice would probably be advisable for me. Totally. I'll, I'll be happy to help you, help you out with that anytime, but dude, I, I want to switch gears from the training. And yep. I want to talk about some of your journeys with psychedelics because you have done quite a bit of plant medicine work more than maybe anyone I've spoken to. And actually, after kind of reviewing some of the some of the things you were sending me and some of our offline conversations, uh, tell, tell people listening in about the time you, you know, stayed with a tribe in the Amazon for two weeks and had uh, ayahuasca seven times. Tell, 
I'm curious to hear this story. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it kind of it, it has the potential to spiral off into lots of sub stories, as you can imagine. But uh, generally speaking, so I, I had an experience with different psychedelics before doing this, including, um, you know, mushrooms, uh, DMT, salvia, all of these uh, different things. And I um, just recreationally or were you working with like a skilled professional, like shaman type dude? Basically, uh, the way that I was doing it previously is treating it with respect, but doing it kind of self-guided or guided with the, the help of people who are more experienced than myself, including one of my actual uh, Mai Tai coach, who's a, also a psychonaut, you know, as they like to call themselves, yeah. um, you know, with his guidance and with the kind of like reverence that it deserves. But yeah, uh, not I had, I had no experience with shamanism previously, and I fancied myself to be quite... Uh, knowledgeable on the subject or you know like one of those guys that you know i know what's going on i've had these things and when i went to the amazon i was humbled to say the least <laughs> because I, I i thought that i knew what was going on it turns out i didn't um <laughs> but yeah I, I mean long story short ayahuasca is just fully it's it's fully immersive and it's fully transformative and it's just in in words in ways that words can't at all begin to uh you know to uh to uh explain but when I went to the Amazon I'd been living in Rio uh, for a year as a personal trainer and a coach and I'd been training jiu-jitsu and stuff and I'd saved up some money to travel to northern Brazil to the Amazon and um, I managed through a, a number of crazy coincidences and serendipity to uh, get in touch with a woman who worked with a tribe in remote uh, northern Amazon um, in a place which is between the border of uh, Peru, Colombia, and Brazil in the in the remote Amazon, um, and so I I saved up some money and I I flew there uh, via three main flights and then a kind of chartered eight person you know propeller plane through the jungle yeah, yeah. Over, over endless green landed in a place called Jordal which is like a um, a literal horse and cart town in uh, I think it's a mining town in um, Brazil and then went two days uh, upriver on a boat to stay. Uh, to find a tribe uh well not find to uh, you know to, to visit a tribe and uh, stayed with them the the tribe are called uh, the huni quinn of the kaishinawa people um which exists uh in the amazon not just in brazil but as i said in, in into colombia and peru they have their own area of the amazon um and yeah and i went and stayed there and over seven different uh, over the course of the the 20 days i was there i had ayahuasca seven or eight separate times and uh yeah it was just um, it put a lot of things into perspective for me. It, it humbled me. It made me realize that I had spent a lot of my life thinking I was right about everything that I had no business thinking I was right about, you know, and um, yeah, it was, it was previously I'd been quite skeptical, even with my psychedelic experiences, I've been quite skeptical of what people refer to as mystical or spiritual experiences, or, you know, maybe the objective truth behind them or anything like that. And I kind of, uh, I had a, an arrogance about, you know, what I thought was my scientific materialist view being superior as most people who have that viewpoint. You know. Sure, sure. Oh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of brought me just, uh, I mean, again, there's no words to say it brought me into such a, a deep spiritual experience that I saw um, even my, my, my history unfold literally explicitly before my eyes and seeing where I'd done something that was, you know, even, even an argument with a family member where I was in the wrong or like something where I'd done something and I hadn't seen the effect of it. And I was watching parts of my life as if it was on TV, like quite explicitly with my eyes open. I was kind of 
being asked questions from something somewhere um, and, and being forced to answer them honestly with myself and, and so on and so forth. So I really feel like it was a, a really transformative experience for me. And it's something that I could talk about for, for days and days, but um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's tough work though. It's, it's not no a, doubt. it's not area. It's, you know, people think like, Oh, you know, it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows, but like any, like, as you know, any hard work on yourself, like even with the, the breath work, it's, it's down and dirty and it's, it's hard work. And it it's, um, it's something that once you're in it, you, you realize you've done something like, I'm like, wow, I've done this again. Every night I had it, as soon as it kicked in, I was like, oh no, I'm doing it again. <laughs> it just yeah. goes on and on, but it was like, it was amazing really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And a lot of people tend to glorify these experiences. It's like this incredible magical experience with all these hallucinations. But from anyone I've spoken to that's really been in the trenches will tell you, it's no walk in the park. It's not something you do for fun. It's not something you do to get high. It's something you do for deep inner work to, you know, reveal shadows about yourself and areas for improvements and areas in your life that you might have blinders up to kind of unlocks those doors. And and one question I have for you, Liam, because I know you've studied a lot of world religions. Did your plant medicine ceremonies, not just the ayahuasca, but just in general, have they brought you closer to organized religion or further away from organized religion as you've become more spiritually in tune? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I was just talking to my sister about uh, today. I find that it's, it's brought me into a different way of thinking about it all. I used to be in more or less entirely anti-religion because I, I've, it turns out from my, you know, from, from what I think is uh, closer to the truth now is that I was misunderstanding what it was. I was, you know, yeah. I couldn't see wood for the trees, as we say in England. Um, and I, there was one very explicit moment with the ayahuasca where I both uh, kind of internally and through the, through the visuals that were being displayed to me, I was seeing all these um, religious symbols melting into each other and coming out as a different religious symbol and melting. And, and the realization I had was that, you know, it's, it's not so much these different branches that you need to focus on. It's all related to a kind of core, which is the core yes. of the spirit, the, the ultimate truth, whatever that is that I can't even, you know, I, I won't even attempt to put words on. Sure. It's not possible to do it. But, um, and it, it, it reminds me of a quote, a Bruce Lee quote to paraphrase, you know, he says, if I'm pointing at the moon and you focus on my finger, you miss all of the heavenly glory. And for me, I realize that a lot of what people refer to as religion or teachings or dogma or anything is a finger pointing at the moon and if you focus on the finger you're like oh no this this doesn't seem right it's not because i'm pointing up there and for me it feels like with, with deep psychedelic experiences i get the experience of in this analogy the moon as opposed to the finger you know and i feel like it was a, a kind of experience of the source which gives birth to all of these ideas of spirituality and, and religion and all of those things and again it's it's not possible it was it reminds me of not being able to put words onto it because beforehand I had these ideas of okay I'm going to have the experience and I'm going to write about it I'm going to explain it because I don't I didn't feel it was properly explained before and there was a point when I was deep in the experience I actually laughed at the very concept of me being able to write about this in a way that would make any sense to anybody and it's just <laughs> one of those things where you you cannot you cannot show you know it's like you 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 cannot walk through the door for somebody you can only open the door and let them walk through for themselves and they'll have a different concept of it. And I, I, I try to balance between talking about it and not giving people some 
conception. I might say a word that they have a you know association with that if you say the word God or religion or spirituality or, yeah. or, or transcendent or anything, they might have some association with something else they heard and, and misunderstand it. So 100% is something you can only understand from direct experience. But yeah, it, it gave me a completely different viewpoint on religion and spirituality and everything. Yeah. Beautiful explanation, man. And my views are very in line with yours. I you know, went through different stages throughout my development where I thought religion was was great. And then I went through periods where I was like, religion is not for me. And I think organized religion is, is very misguided. And I've come to a place in the recent years where I've been studying it a lot more uh, because one of the driving uh, factors is my dad became like this born again Christian after 50 plus years of being more or less I wouldn't say atheist, but more so agnostic. He just didn't yeah, really, yeah. you know, subscribe to any religious beliefs or the Bible or anything. And then, you know, long story short, he became extremely infatu infatuated with, um, you know, Christianity and he's deep into the church and, you know, almost as a really integral part of his, his church community. And so he's been really, you know, pushing those kind of biblical beliefs uh, just as a way to try and, you know, help, help me and help, help his family and things like that. And, you know, one of the things that I always try and explain to him is similar sentiment, sentiment is what you described, Liam, in that all these religions are all pointing to the same thing. And, and, and they all bicker amongst each other of this minutia details that don't really freaking matter. At the end of the day, it's not about the story. It's not about the specifics. It's about your deep connection and belief in a higher power. Whatever that yeah. looks like for you, whatever that looks like, you want to call it God, you want to call it Krishna, you want to call it whatever you want to call it. It's about just having a faith that there's something beyond this human consciousness, this human experience that we're living in on this plane, There's something bigger, there's a bigger purpose, a bigger thing that is hard to put words to. And I think by alienating individuals of other religious beliefs, you're defeating the entire purpose of spirituality rather than accepting them and saying, yeah, they might have a few things that I might not agree with. I might believe things they don't agree with. But at the end of the day, all religions are basically telling you, be a good person. Like, don't mm -hmm. fuck people over. Be a good person, do good in the world, and have faith. And that's really, at the end of the day, I think, an integral part of, of just having a good life. You know, And I think, I, I like to use the exercise analogy, because I know a lot of people can relate to this. And I feel like organized religion is like going to a group exercise class where you go there and there's an instructor and they tell you the workout and you have all these people who are building community together and they're in it together. And there's all these benefits to that, but the workout's very structured and there's a set routine that's not necessarily dictated by yourself, but by you, your own. Whereas my path is, I don't really like group exercise classes. I like to just get in the gym and just crush it, whatever I feel like doing today. Or I like to get out on my paddleboard or my mountain bike and just get into nature and move my body. Both of those are great. They're both exercise. They're both having the same outcome of improving your health and your physical body and your mental status and all these things, but they're just different ways of arriving there. And so that's kind of the analogy I think of religion as is it's just a tool. It's, it's, a, it's a modality, a technique, a, a belief system that helps people arrive at the same outcome, but it's only one way. And there's many other ways that are all valid, that are all acceptable in my, you know, system of belief and understanding. I think they're all great. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with any of them. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, it's interesting because you give the analogy of the exercise, because one thing that I find um, in common with exercise and religion, like you say, there's so many different ways of doing it. And it, initially it's very easy to think of 
the differences in the different methods. Like, I oh, know yoga says do it like this, Pilates yeah. says do it like this, so yep. on and so forth, and even with martial arts and everything. And then when you, I found having spent so long in it, I now look for the common features. I now look for what does everybody agree on? Because, you know, there's certain things within every method of exercise, every method of spiritual development, every method of everything that has uh, a common a commonality. It's like Miyamoto, uh, Miyamoto Musashi said, um, to see the way deeply is to see it in all things. And you see the underlying thing of like, what do these things have in common? And I think that's one of the, the keys, not only to understanding and personal development but also to avoiding confrontation is thinking like okay so we don't agree whether jesus said this or this but do we agree that he said we probably shouldn't kill each other like yes yeah. okay let's go yeah, with yeah. that let's stick yep. with that one don't worry about the details you know but unfortunately it's just the way that people tend to be geared is to look for uh, what to disagree on as yep. opposed to what to agree on and that's why Facebook rants get more likes than than Facebook praise and, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And that's what, you know, they, and as we know, it's a whole different kettle of fish, but the algorithms work on that to say, you know, the, the idea that people like hearing somebody else being wrong and then being right, as opposed to being like, okay, well, what can we both agree on, you know? And I think that runs uh, through all things like fitness, religion, and everything else. Yeah. I, as a, as a small segue, uh, from the spiritual stuff, I want to dive into lucid dreaming with you, dude, because you mentioned to me you're big into lucid dreaming. And this is something I attempted to pick up and was exposed to this concept in college. And a buddy of mine who I was one of my best friends, he, he had a book all about lucid dreaming. He's like, dude, we should try this. It sounds freaking awesome. And at the time, I wasn't ever able to really get into it because in college, I was smoking a bunch of weed and it kind of disrupts your REM cycles. So you don't remember your dreams. And so my cannabis use inhibited my uh, my ability to get into it. And, and now I haven't smoked weed, you know, with any regularity in many years. Uh, but I never really got back to the lucid dreaming side of things, even though now I have very vivid dreams and I do remember them. So I'm curious if you can give people kind of an overview of this practice and how you got into it. And then, you know, maybe some resources and tips if people want to dive deeper. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, my, um, my introduction to lucid dreaming was actually quite strange because I didn't know what it was. But basically, I had a reoccurring kind of nightmare, like nothing crazy, but a reoccurring nightmare when I was younger. And I remember talking to my dad. I'm talking about like I was like seven years old, I think, or eight years old. I remember telling my dad, like, you know, this keeps happening in my dream. And he said to me, and he's not, he, he, you know, he wasn't talking about lucid dreaming. He was just saying, well, because it's your dream, just remember when you're dreaming, this is my dream and I can control it. And I remember the next time the nightmare happened, it was like of some ghost on the stairs or something. And I remember thinking, wait, this is my dream. And I remember saying in my dream to this ghost, this is my dream. I can do what I want. And the ghost walked away and I was like, wow, what else can I do? <laughs> as a kid, I was doing it. I was dreaming wow. and I was, I was dreaming. And, and as an adult, I fell out of that practice. And I remember hearing about lucid dreaming and I put it into a kind of new age nonsense category in my brain. I just heard it linked with other things. And, um, and I, I just dismissed it as something which, which I, I didn't think was real. And then I read about it once and I was like, oh, that's what lucid dreaming was. That's what I didn't realize. That lucid dreaming just means being conscious of dreaming and, yep. and then you know, everything that it entails. And um, I did get back into the practice of it um, in, a, in, a, in a deep way. Uh, and I give a lot of credit to a guy called um, Charlie Morley, who is a, a British guy, and he's actually trained with uh, Tibetan monks in the in the dream sleep yoga, as they call it, um, the lucid dreaming in Tibet. Um, and he's got a book, and I don't want to uh, misquote the title, but I believe it's Dreams oh. of Awakening, but I could be wrong. Um, but Google, uh, it's Charlie 
Morley, let me just check. I've got his name right as well, so I don't get it wrong. But yeah, his book helped me um, a great deal with um, with learning the the tactics and and everything else. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lucid Dreamy Teacher. So you can find him and find any of his books. He has a couple of new ones recently, and I actually connected with him on Instagram. He's a very nice guy, uh, and he laid it out in a kind of step by step process. So I was able to reconnect to what I could do as a child, and children are much more able to do it because children tend to have much more vivid dreams and they're much more involved in them they're much more they have a lot more emotional anchors and everything within the dream and they tend to remember them more vividly which is something which helps a lot but as far as why, why do you think that is do you think that's like caffeine use in adults or or you know drinking or or cannabis like why do you think kids remember their dreams more vividly I think, um, you know, as, as a general thing is that as we get older, we tend to um, kind of atrophy our imagination to a certain degree because we have to start focusing on the real world or we have real world, like, you know, when I say real world problems of like, you know, uh, things we're concerned about. We have to remember things at school. We have to, you know, develop these relationships and learn how to, how to operate day to day that I feel like maybe our more psychedelic for want of a better word tendencies in our mind become slightly you know like uh, as um i forget the uh aldous huxley said they're like the reducing valve i think that the people have a kind of reducing valve on their consciousness as they get older generally speaking and uh, for me it was the psychedelics that knocked that back open and then furthermore the lucid dreaming and, and you know and other things but yeah i i think as Anybody can reach lucid dreaming. As you say, the weed doesn't help because it affects your short-term memory and also it affects your REM sleep and everything. And, and both of those things are essential. But when it comes to lucid dreaming, there are two things which helped me a lot. One of them was keeping a dream diary. Um, so every time you wake up, right, the, it has to be the first thing you do. Because if you look at your phone, the dream yeah. that you thought you were going to be like, oh, definitely remember that. Yeah. You send somebody a text and you go, what? <laughs> like it's, it's disappeared. It's you have yeah. this like, essence of it. It's very similar to to psychedelic experiences, you have a very strong, you know, when you're living it, you're thinking, I can never forget this. But then two minutes later, it's gone. So I found that writing dreams is very useful. And what Second I would add to that, Liam, that I found uh, when I was dabbling with this is voice recording yourself documenting the dream because it's faster than writing it. And yeah. a lot of times you could explain a lot more detail and just ramble on as many details and, and specifics as you can about that dream in a voice note and then just keep you know on an app or something a document yeah. of all these voice notes rather that that's what i found works better for me than writing yeah 100 it's, it's a good point i should try that because often I, I have this little notebook and with a pen and i you try to keep it next to my bed but then you know i get my notebook i can't find the pen and then it's yeah. gone um so that would make sense i should start doing that again um but yeah with the with the dream uh, diary is one thing um secondly is just kind of spending time during the day questioning even though you know you, you know you're conscious, just saying like, "Am I dreaming right now?" takes two seconds. Am I dreaming? No, I'm not. Why? Why am I not dreaming? Because I have a reference point of things that have happened throughout the day. I remember waking up. I remember these things happening. I arranged a podcast. I'm having the podcast. Yeah. Once you get into the habit of doing that, you might be, you know, in a dream. You're on a beach, and you're like, "Am I dreaming?" No. Oh, wait. Why am I in Brazil? This doesn't make any sense. And then yeah. you're like, "Oh, I'm dreaming." It can be <laughs> as simple as that. It really can. It's just a habit of thinking about it enough. Talk to people about your dreams. Write them down. Think about whether you're dreaming, and think about the the the, the difference between the feeling of dreaming and the feeling of being awake. Because now we we know that we feel we're awake. And when you just ask that simple question when you're dreaming, if you get into the habit of doing it, one day you'll ask it as as part of a habit. You'll think like, "Am I dreaming?" And the 
you can tell straight away that you are when you ask that question and then bing it opens up to so many possibilities and so many so many things that you can experiment with with creating things with exploring things with flying with asking questions of people like it's it's a crazy thing it's it's one of the most amazing things we can do as people that we're doing in a space which is otherwise dead time and it doesn't tire me out when i when i wake up and i've had a lucid dream i actually feel energized it's not yeah. like you know i've I've, I've wasted mental energy while I've been sleeping. It actually takes you deeper into REM sleep or whatever it is that's happening. And your body's rested in your, but your mind can like explore all these possibilities. And you actually wake up somehow feeling even more invigorated. Yeah. When otherwise so, you might have been unconscious, you know? So it's a great practice. 100%. It's a fasc fascinating practice. And on your topic of questioning the beliefs of, of things that you take, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a fact or as a truism, I think that's really cool tip for the lucid dreaming of just doing a quick check, like, am I dreaming? Am I conscious? What's going on? But I also see that as super valuable for all of our beliefs. One of my favorite quotes I heard from this, this business mentor of mine, Alex Ramosi, that I think is really a, a, a good thing for people to be mindful of is when it comes to belief systems and limiting beliefs and breaking beliefs is we question all of our beliefs, except the things we truly believe and those we never think to question. Mm. 100%. Yeah. And so it's important just to sometimes take a step back and just question things that you think are absolutely fact or absolutely the case. And what you'll find oftentimes is you never even took the time prior to, to really evaluate those things and come to a greater sense of perspective and maybe see things a little bit differently. So yeah. love that. And I love the tips. I'm definitely going to put the link in the show notes to this book on lucid dreaming you, you outlined. And, and one more thing I want to touch on with you, Liam is uh so i'm i'm interested in having kids in the not so distant future and i know yeah. you recently became a father you have a nine-month-old son and so what are a few of the big lessons or takeaways you've gotten since becoming a father yeah well you know it, it's it's interesting for me uh you know you always hear people say like you, you you'll never be ready you'll never think you're ready which is which turns out is true. I always had this idea that I wanted to have X, Y, and Z before I had a child, because then X, Y, and Z would happen. But of course, these things never go to plan. <laughs> you can plan something so perfectly. I personally wanted to have, you know, a, a stable business, a gym, a certain amount of income before I had a child, because in my way of thinking, um, I know that from, from any of my perspectives in, uh, you know, any of my worldviews thinking about evolution or biology, uh, biological imperative or even philosophy or anything, I knew that I would then have to be the second most important person in my life. And for me, I thought that this would be a kind of an unnatural, not so much unnatural, but an, an uncomfortable thing to have to do to think like, okay, now I have to give up what I want to do and then put it forward like this. And I thought of it like that. Um, when when uh, we had Aiden, as his name is, Aiden Ilias, um, we, it wasn't planned, but it wasn't unplanned. You know, I was kind of thinking like, you know what, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop not trying to have a child, basically. <laughs> and I was just like, whatever. <laughs> it's one of those things. I just like, yeah, yeah. let it go. Uh, it turns out more or less immediately after doing that, it occurred. <laughs> but yeah, these things happen. Strong swimmers, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what's funny is that, um, you know, in, as, as a kind of, it's a, it's a, not something I've learned to explain properly, but instead of thinking of like, I've had to make room for him in my life or make room in my heart, so to speak, it feels like it's just a natural thing that's occurred. And it's like, you know, now he's in, my, it's not like I think I, I have to go home from a party to see him. It's that 
I, I'm at the party. I'm looking at photos of him on my phone. I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not an inconvenience, basically, yeah. for me. Obviously, for, for a lot of people, it isn't. Um, you know, it's funny because we went to this uh, massive music festival. Me and my wife, we were, we were uh, flown out there because she's quite a, a, a well-known person in the Middle East. We were flown out to this place. Um, and it was a, a, a music festival called Middle Beast in Saudi Arabia. It's the first one, or the, the second year of it running. There's 200,000 people there. We were in a VIP box. There's like David Getter and some dance guys like going. And there's huge fireworks and everything. And me and my wife are sat there looking at photos of our son being like, oh, look at this one. This one, he was like, oh, do you remember when this? And I was like, it's so funny. We've become those parents. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's unnatural. It's just like, that's just how it is, you know? Yeah. One other thing I would say is that we're very lucky in this part of the world um to be able to afford to have a nanny now this is something that i always have to say because my sister you know in the uk she has two kids and her, her husband works and and she's always like she hates me because i'm always like you know and now i'm going to this i can do this thing because we have help yeah and uh, that for me makes me feel you know when people ask me for advice on on being a father and stuff i almost feel like an imposter because i'm like my advice is get a nanny <laughs> because it means that you have you know, the, the times when we haven't, like for the first few weeks, I was basically on a sleep shift where I just decided to stay up until 6 a.m. and look after him and then hand into my wife and go to sleep because I can't deal with unbroken sleep for a long period of time. So I really, you know, mad respect to people who have full-time jobs and, you know, even, even not single parents, even full parents and, you know, two-party parents and everything. Like it's a tough job um, because it's just demanding, but at the same time, it's, you know, arguably the main thing we're put on earth for yeah. um, other things and for me it's just like you know it's been a it's been a crazy thing where you know now I'm not the most important person in my life and that's how it is that's how it should be you know so it's become a natural thing and a, and a kind of profound thing and I'm looking forward to seeing him grow up and, and continue to develop and stuff but it's just a crazy thing it never gets boring watching him do stuff he could be doing something completely innocuous but you can sit and watch it for hours and it's just it's super cool yeah I love it it's great some great no, I'm a dad. I never stopped talking about it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great, man. I really appreciate that input and uh, your perspective on it. Well, this has been an incredible conversation, brother. I mean, it's, it's always good connecting with you and appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with me because we've covered a lot of good ground. You've shared a lot of killer information. I know all my listeners are going to benefit from this, even if they got a small fraction of the amount of value I've gotten from it personally. So uh, in closing, man, it, where's the best place for people to connect with you to learn more about your work and you know what you have going on? Yeah, well, the, the best place for me, I'm not very active on social media, but I'm not really active anywhere uh, in the public domain. So Instagram is the best way to get me as it will be in the, the show notes. You can I, yep. I answer all of my DMs. If anybody wants to DM me, answer, ask any question, uh, ask me to elaborate on anything or any advice in, in helping them or anything, I'm always happy to help. Um, I, I'm working towards trying to put out more content on the on Instagram. My wife's an influencer and she's always telling me to record this and that, but <laughs> I, I tend to work... Uh, very much in the real world and I forget to record stuff and, and whatever else. So uh, I feel that, yeah, dude. I feel the, that. The best place, the best place to get me when I'm when I'm on there, you know. Great. We'll throw the link in the show notes, like you said. And uh, dude, we'll be in touch, man. I'm happy to help you on the nutrition stuff, like you said. hundred yeah, percent I need it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Appreciate you, yeah. dude. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it helpful, please share it along to anyone else you believe it can serve. You can submit your own question to be answered on the show by going to ryankennedyhealth.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review for the show. 
Your feedback helps to support me on my mission to positively impact as many people as possible with this information. Please note, the information depicted in this episode is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine.